you're, you stay with me and, uh, and track with me um, because um, this is actually a message that I taught recently and, um, and it's something that God has kind of, kind of plowed through my heart um, and that I constantly need to try to remind myself of every day, kind of the main truth that we'll look at. Um, but I hope that, I hope that you, you, you stick with me tonight and, and really um, God helps you um, to, to understand something tonight. Um, but it's, it's, it's really, it really, it sounds cheesy saying this, but I, I, it really is um, uh, a privilege for me to, to fill in for Dan. I have so much respect for Dan. And I think Dan is an awesome uh, teacher. And if he was in here, he'd be going, no, no, whatever. And I really think he is. I, I, I was a youth pastor before I came here as, um, I don't know if you knew that, but I, I was uh, in youth ministry for seven years before I came um, here to do music. And, uh, and when I was there, I had Dan over all the time. And uh, I just, he, he just the way he teaches, it's just really, really good stuff. So um, I'll try to fill his shoes tonight, all right? Y'all just stay with me, all right? Hopefully I'm not too long. If you, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and start turning to Philippians chapter 2. Um, and uh, tell me some things that y'all, like, some things that, if I said, you know, what do you like to do in your free time? What are some things that you would say? Say aloud. Read. Black Ops, that's a video game, I guess. Um, anything else? Is that the only two things you like to do? Sing? Okay. Snowboard? What? Tennis? All right. Who likes sports? Sports? What sports do you like to uh, play? What's like, what's like the top sport, in your opinion? What is the best sport? Okay. All right. Now... Whatever it is that you enjoy to do and that you're right now at your young age trying to get skilled at, right? Trying to get good at, whether it's hard singing or maybe playing an instrument or um, it's, if it's sports. Um, it can be frustrating sometimes to be around someone who is really good at whatever that is you enjoy doing. All right? You with me? Um, like, I like to sometimes, you know, as I'm sitting in the sanctuary piddling around with the guitar, there's moments where I'm going, that wasn't bad. Okay, that was okay. Maybe I'm getting good at this thing. And all you have to do is like look it up YouTube. All you have to type in is amazing guitar player. And like four and five year olds, will their videos will come up and they're just insane. And it's like, what am I doing with my life? I just need to throw my guitar away. You know? Have you ever had one of those moments where it's like, how does that happen? Like, I want to do that, right? Uh, but that moment's frustrating because it's impossible in that moment to, be, to copy that person um, in, in, you know, and to become as good as they are um, you know, in a matter of moments. It's impossible. Um, and uh, it's almost as if... It's almost as the only way, which is, this sounds even silly saying, but it's true. The only way would be if that person had some supernatural ability to like, you know, impart to you their skill. But that's impossible, humanly speaking. Um, but whatever that person is or that example is that you maybe feel some frustration trying to imitate or trying to copy or um, trying to live your life like. Um, Let's just talk about for a second what it's like trying to copy Christ. Because the Bible all throughout Scripture says to imitate Jesus. It says to, to, um, you know, and, and it's, think about that. All throughout the 
Old Testament where it says to live a godly, holy life, and then into the New Testament where it says specifically, Romans 8.29, that you've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Um, 1 Timothy 6 where he says, uh, don't pursue ungodly things, but pursue righteousness and godliness. Be like God. Um, you know, and then what we'll look at tonight is in Philippians 2 where Paul is saying, be like Jesus. Um, that, it doesn't take long to try to follow Christ to feel some frustration there. The greatest person to ever live, God, all right? He was the greatest, uh, had the greatest attitude, perfect, all right? We'll talk about that in just a few moments. He um, was the greatest friend, right? Are you ever a bad friend? I am, right? Um, He was the greatest friend. He was just the greatest person. You know, I'm sure he was the greatest perfect carpenter. You think that was like, Frustrating for some of the local carpenters, you know. Probably no one was lining up for their business. They were lining up for Jesus. Like everything that he made was just like awesome, right? Um, But all joking aside, he was a perfect person, all right? And so tonight we're going to do something. We're going to look at, because we are supposed to follow Christ. We are supposed to model our life after Christ. Um, And that's what we're supposed to aim at, all right? And that's a good thing that we need to strive for. But the question is, is how do I really hit that? How do I aim at that and see that happen in my life without living in a cycle of frustration where I just can't seem to get it? All right? And so turn with me to um, Philippians chapter 2. And the, the verse where Paul makes clear what he's after here is verse 5. And then we're going to skip down and look at verse 12. Look at what verse 5. It says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So have an attitude, model your life, your attitude, your everything after Christ. In fact, if you go down to verse 12, he kind of expounds on this a little bit. You know, this is what, um, what it looks like you know, for us to aim at um, Christ-likeness. He says in verse 12, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in, um, in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Who's heard that verse before? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? Now, I think that that's a verse that often, and I've even been guilty of this, is taught kind of out of context in an incorrect way. A lot of times it's taught as, you know, what is it even, when you, the way that we use the phrase work out um, can kind of cause some confusion. Work out your own salvation. It can kind of give us the impression that we're supposed to kind of work at our salvation. You know, work at getting this thing where we're saved and we're in a right relationship with God. Work at that. And sooner or later, you'll, um, you'll get there, right? You'll reach that level of salvation. Um, but if we look at kind of Paul's theology and look at his letters, we, we know that Scripture clearly teaches that salvation, once you're saved, you're always saved, right? You're eternally secure. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm sure y'all will cover that as you study the gospel. And uh, if you haven't figured out yet, we are taking a break from that. I'm sure you guys will get back into the gospel next week. But the Bible clearly teaches that salvation is a work of God. It's nothing we can do. Um, and once a sinner believes in the gospel and repents of his, his or her sins, their soul is secure. So this phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, has got to be talking about something else. And in fact, it means this. It, the phrase work out means to work it out until it's done. And what, what it means here is who in here likes doing math? Really? That's awesome. Put your hands down. All right. Um, who does not like doing math? All right. That's the majority. All right. Uh, so all of, us, all of us are familiar with long division, right? 
We've done log division. Um, and as you get older, the longer those equations get and more frustrating. But, you know, when you're working at a long division problem, think about it this way. The answer, you're going to arrive at the answer if you follow a certain amount of steps, right? But before you ever follow those steps, in a way that, that, that solution to that answer is there. It's in the equation. You just have to work it out. You just, things just have to be lined up in the right way to where the correct answer comes to the service. Um, that's kind of what he's talking about with salvation. And a good way to understand that is to maybe in your Bible next to salvation write Christ-likeness or like Christ. You know, what Paul is talking about is the Jesus that is already in you, your salvation, that coming to the surface. Let me give you another example. Um, who in here has ever watched The Biggest Loser? All right, you, so a lot of us in the room are familiar with how that uh, show works and what it's about. It's people who show up who are very out of shape, and they go through this like horrible like you know um, you know uh, exercise program by these like crazy trainers you know who yell in their face and do all kinds of stuff to try to get them motivated. And after a certain amount of time, all of a sudden, what happens if they stick to that regimen? If they stick to that diet and that exercise program, they, they begin to change, right? And all of a sudden, they begin to see muscles and, and shapes that they've never seen before. Now, were those, were those muscles and things are there already? Yeah. But as they worked it out, those things came to the surface, all right? Everyone do like this uh, and, and, and flex, flex your arm and feel the back of your arm. And do you, come on, flex your muscle. Is anything there? You feel anything? Who in here, you know, tricep, right? Who in here can like show off a little tricep? Anybody's tricep at the surface? Now. Some of you guys are like, yeah, boom. See that? That's a tricep, right? Guess what? It's really, it's really cool that it came to the surface, but guess what? Everybody has a tricep. All of us have a tricep. And you know, if you went home tonight, and you got like a 15-pound, 10-pound, 5-pound dumbbell, and you began to do like this, like held it in your hand, you just began to do like this type of exercise here, and you did maybe, you know, three sets of 10 reps for every night for the next several months, guess what? Um, on this side, at least, your triceps gonna, your triceps gonna start, you know, showing off, and people are gonna start seeing that thing, right? Now, was, does everybody have a tricep? Yes, but it, it takes some working out and some discipline to see that come to the surface. I believe that's what Paul's talking about here. All right, as a believer, Christ is in us; His Spirit is in us. And as we walk in obedience and surrender to Him and, and read the Word and, and come to church and listen and apply things to our life, the Christ-likeness that is already there begins to come to the surface. And Paul's like, that's what we're aiming at. That's what we want to see happen in our life as believers because that gives evidence to the fact that we are believers. Okay? So, work out your own salvation. Then look at um, verses 14 through 16 as he, begin, as he continues to show what we're aiming at. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God. Again, the idea of blameless, innocent, holy, like Him, children of God, above reproach, like our Father, like our Heavenly Father, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. All right? This is what Jesus coming to the surface looks like. What, what are some things being said there? Things that you've heard before? Things that you've heard preached right in this room? Things that you've heard preached outside of this room? At camps, at Disciple Nows, at, uh, in, in church each week? 
um, things that you hear in songs on Christian radio. Um, be blameless, right? Be holy. Um, do what's right. Have integrity at school, in your home, at work. Strive for holiness. All right, we all, all of us know that holiness, like living a holy life for God, is not the normal thing to do in your generation, right? For your generation in this culture, correct? Um, but God has called us, even though we're in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation, to be different, all right? To walk against that grain, to walk against that, that popular flow of how things go, all right? The world's crooked and depraved, but we're called to be different than that. The culture's um, sinful and worldly, but we're called to be counterculture, right? Um, and so we're, it even says we're called to be a light. Why does he use the word light? Because he's used the word darkness for the world. It's all throughout Scripture. World, the world is called darkness and, and God and, and, and light and, and holiness. And we as his children are called to be lights because light is the total opposite of darkness. And so we're called to be a light in the darkness. And so, you know, in other words, if your school is, is a dark place to live your life each day, like if it's not the cool thing to be like loud about your faith and, and it's kind of a dark place, you should be shining brightly in that place. For a light to be valuable, it has to be visible, right? And so that's what you've been called to be, uh, to be a light that, that grows brighter as things get darker around you, not to blend in with the darkness. See, that's uh, what happens is, especially kind of in American Christianity, is there's such like an overlap of worldliness and teenage youth, Christian youth groups, the way, the, the way that people live. It's sometimes hard to tell a difference, right? And it doesn't mean you dress a different way. It doesn't mean you have to act strange or like weird. It just means your life, there shouldn't be an overlap in the way that your lives are. You shouldn't blend in with that darkness. You should stand out, all right? So you think of Christ. How is he a light? Well, Think about, um, you know, he was around a crooked and perverse generation. He was around people. Well, what are some char- what are things characteristic of a worldly generation? Well, um, they're very um, self-centered, um, very selfish. And what was Christ in a very selfish generation? He was selfless. Are you ever around any selfish people? Yeah. Are you ever a selfish person? You don't have to answer that out loud. But what are we called to be? The complete opposite. All right. Or what about hate? He was around a lot of hateful people. Are you ever around any just hateful people? It's like, dude, they're just hateful about it. Like, do they ever have a good day? Like, and it's like contagious. It's like when they come in the room and they're hateful, then everybody else, it just kind of brings, you know, the mood down. You know, Christ was around people who were hateful, but he was a person of love. Light, darkness, right? What about lust? You know, um, you know, it's, a normal thing to follow your lustful desires for in as far as this culture goes that's kind of implied in just you know media and music and the way people talk at school and the way th- things are that's the norm in culture but what are we called to be we're called to be pure we're called to have self-control right what about laziness all right christ was around a lot of lazy people all right well, we're called to be diligent. We're called to be hard workers. He was around rebelliousness and, and he was obedient. You see, he's a light in darkness and that's what we're called to be. And so Paul, Paul is like all the time. You know, if you read his letters to these churches, you know, these people that he loved, that he discipled, he's constantly going, wake up, wake up. 
don't you understand? For you to not get what I'm laying out before you is for you to waste your life. You're called to be a light. Be a light in the darkness. Don't waste away your middle school years. Don't waste away your high school years. You know, blending in with the darkness. Be different. Don't blend in with it. Be holy. Be blameless in the midst of a crooked, worldly generation. You know? And we hear things like that. And even in your heart right now and in your mind, you... You, you might say, yeah, I'm with you. Like, when you hear that stuff, are you motivated to live a holy life? Are you with me? Do you, do you desire to live a holy life? Are you motivated? Yes or no? Yeah? Are you motivated to live a holy life? Yeah? But the question is this, is motivation enough to produce godliness? It's just being motivated enough to produce godliness. Alright? If you've been around church for a while chances are that you've been motivated to follow Christ. All right? If you've been to a big event uh, where it was like a bunch of just people getting together, worshiping the Lord, and just really solid preaching, I guarantee you've been motivated to follow Christ. That's a good thing, right? For our emotions to be stirred for a good thing is a good thing, right? Um, and, and, and sometimes, did you know that? I, I believe this. I believe that God's given us music to inspire us. That's why a lot of times when you end a, uh, maybe a big weekend or you end a service and, and man, it's just been like awesome, man, been in the Word and you, you, you hear God like clearly calling you, whatever your name is, follow me. You leave all that junk behind and you're like, that's right, that's what I need to be doing. You know what I mean? You're connecting with it and then you get to the end of that weekend and like the music's playing, you know, and it's like, follow Jesus, be a light in the darkness and you're like, yes, yes, I'm with you. you do you know what I'm saying? You know how music can do that? In fact, watch this. Watch if, I, if I'm just to read that prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, 14 through 16. If, listen if I was just to play music and read that same verse. Let me read that verse one time without it, all right? Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked generation. Pretty powerful, right? But let's listen, listen when we add a little... Yeah, go ahead and play some music. And let, me, let me read it this way and tell me if it adds a little motivation, all right? Go ahead. All right, hear the music? And if you're looking at the verse, look at the verse. 14, 14 through 16. All right. Celebration you. This is for you. Paul's writing to his audience, but it's also writing to you. Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked generation. Be a light. Turn it off. Feel the difference? Feel the difference? Now, is that a bad thing? No, it's good to be inspired. In fact, you've been in those moments. Like, play that again. Play that again. So, let's, let's get a little bit more inspired, all right? All right? So, same one, all right? Let me read that again. And then I'll challenge you, all right? Here we go. Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked generation, all right? Don't be like the world. Don't be like celebrities and culture and the way that they... You know, show us with their life that we should act. You know, be different. Be like the examples that have been given to us about church history and in the Old Testament. Right? I think of like stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We've all heard that story where everybody around them was bowing their knee to a false god. Everybody around them was bowing their knee to the Norman culture. And there they were. They refused. And even to 
the point of facing death, locking arms, you know, looking into each other's eyes, even if this means we die, we follow Christ. Have you ever been in a moment like this where you're just motivated to live for Christ? Right? Let me just stop it for a second. Then Monday comes. Then Monday comes. And then the music stops. And all those feelings and all that motivation that was felt in that moment, where is it at? Like, what happens? Like, you're like, I mean, the other night I was like so like inspired and I was, I was like going to come back and had all these plans that I was going to do and live out. And all these relationships that were going to change and all these decisions I was going to make. And you've stepped out of that motivating moment and that inspiring moment and the bells ring and you're late for class and you're trying to get there and you're seeing old friends and it's like it's all slowly fading out of the window. What happens there? This is the truth I want you to get. Alright? It doesn't take long in this Christian walk, in this pursuit of godliness to realize that you cannot live out the life God's called you to live on the fumes of some motivating experience. It just doesn't work. And if you don't grasp that, what happens is, it's not just in your youth years, you'll get into your college years, and you'll get into your adult years, and you'll constantly live in the cycle of living for these moments where your emotions are stirred, but your life has never changed. And so, what's the answer? What's the answer? I think the answer is found in Philippians 2.13. Philippians 2.13. Listen and read along with me. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That first line right there. You've got to wrap your life around that. For it is God who is at work in you. I believe the answer is found in that verse The only way I live the life that God's called me to live is with His help. He's not only the God who... Was I able to save myself? Was I able to, you know, give myself salvation? Was I able to add to that at all? No. God's the God of my salvation. He's also the God of my sanctification, my spiritual growth. All right? And and kind of the picture that I'll give you, all right? We've talked about living this thing out. You know, I feel called to live this life for Jesus. And I feel called to, to righteousness and to holiness. If I'm going to live out this Christ-like life, the only way I'm going to do that is if He works into me that which it takes to live out that Christ-like life. Like until He gives me the power to live out that life, it's not going to happen. So if you're not depending on God, if you're not totally surrendered to God and to this understanding of Philippians 2.13, what's scary is this, that you can not only just live a frustrated life of jumping from uh, event to event, but you can fool yourself into thinking that you're a Christian because you look Christian. See, you can try to pursue Christ and, and, and do this over here and try to aim for godliness without allowing God to pour into you what you need. And you can appear to be Christian in reality not have any heart change that ever really has occurred, only like exterior cosmetic type of things. You're just kind of, you know, changing your life to fit into what you believe Christianity should look like. And that's a scary thing. I mean, there's a scary verse in, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, where it says that one day, 
there's going to be people who are going to stand before God, stand before Christ. In, in, in the word there, it says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do ministry in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. There's going to come a day where there's going to be people standing before God who are going to be totally... Com- that Lord, Lord, when you see two words together like that, it's emphatic. It's like them going... It's like them, you know, on their knees going, Lord, Lord, that, that I knew you. And he's going to say, no, you didn't. You, 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 you appeared to know me. You went to church. You did the things that were Christian. But you never knew me. You never knew me. You see, you were trying to aim for something... But in reality, you didn't understand what you needed in order to live out that life that I was calling you to live. And I just want to, I want to say this to you tonight. I want to say, this, this church as a whole, I feel like it's a blessing to my life. And, and, it, and it is a blessing, right? This youth group is a blessing. Your youth worship each week is a blessing. Your youth pastor is a blessing to you. You don't know how much he loves you and cares for you. And, um, man, he just wants you guys to get it so much. And I hear him talk throughout the week. You've got an awesome youth pastor and youth pastor's wives who, who, who love you. And side note here, make sure you tell them that. That doesn't mean go home and just make up a, a nice encouragement. It's just when, I know that God's used them to do things in your life. Take time when that happens to just write a Facebook message and be specific. Hey, God used you to do this in my life. Being a youth pastor... Years go by, and then somebody comes up and goes, thank you for doing that. I'm like, really? You like said, I didn't even know you were listening, right? It's encouraging to, to let them know in the moment to do that. But this is all, it can be a blessing, right? But isn't it scary to think that you can come to youth group, you can go to small groups, you can be part of a club at school, FCA, you can be perfect attendance coming to church, you can sit through family devotion at your house, you can do all of those things only to get to the end of your life, that type of um, pattern extends into adulthood to get to the end of your life and realize you missed the point of Philippians 2.13, that you never stopped in your life and totally gave your life over to the Lord. You know, I was in a youth service like this one time. I was a little older. My testimony, I ended up, um, I missed the point of 213. In fact, I wasn't even searching for it, right? I was um, sitting in the back row, youth guy, just here, you know, to hang out or whatever, something to do on Wednesday night. It wasn't until near the end of my high as a senior that the Lord got a hold of my life. And I remember sitting in a service, and I remember hearing a guy say this. And I remember thinking, that didn't even make sense. What are you talking about? But he said in the... I don't even remember the message. All I remember him saying is, you got to get your own Jesus. I was like, I don't understand what that means. That doesn't even seem to make sense, sir. And he said it again, you got to get your own Jesus. And he began to explain it. I began to understand what he was talking about. He was saying... In order for you to get to a place where God desires you to be, you have to make a decision that as for me and myself, I am making a decision to kneel at the cross of Christ. I'm making a decision to make Him my Lord and Savior. I see how sinful that I am. I'm not just going through the motions and letting the ministries that I'm involved involved in prop me up to look Christian. At the core of who I am, I've given my life to Christ. It's not because my parents want me to. It's not because I'm afraid of what people will say if I don't put up this front and wear this mask. 
But I serve Him. I love Him. I, I do what the Bible's calling me to do because I know Him. Because I've given Him my life. Right? When you surrender to Jesus that way, then you begin to live out the life that He's called you to live. And His power, that power that He's talking about in Philippians 2.13, is poured into your life and it flows out into action. Alright, now, up to this point, I'm, and I'm almost done, stick with me. Um, you're like, okay, well, how does that work? I hear what you're saying. The only way that I live a life for Christ is with God's help. Are you with me up to that point? The only way I live a life for Christ is with God's help. How does that happen? Does He just download that thing that I need, that power into my life? That might be a good way to think about it. But there's three main ways, quick, I'm not going to break all these down. Three main ways that He imparts that power to us. The first is through salvation. Right? Starts with salvation. How do you begin to live the life God's called you to live? It starts with salvation. Something that you have been talking about over and over again. And I wonder, I grew up in church. I was a pastor's kid. I knew all the answers. And I wonder for even some of you who've grown up in churches, as, as Dan has gone through this gospel series, and as different people have taught this material, if in your heart something's began to chip away at that mask, and it's, you're beginning to see a problem, you're beginning to see a truth, a reality, that you're not saved. That you've been going through the motions, but it's all been motivated by things that don't really matter. You've never surrendered your life to the Lord and, and cried out to Him for forgiveness and repented of your sins and truly surrendered to Him your life. Here's my life. Alright? That's where it starts. And then as you begin your journey of following Christ, there's two main ways that He, in a, in a very unique, special way, imparts to us that which we need to live out the life He's called us to live. At salvation, He gives us His Spirit. But as we begin to walk in discipline with Him, that's where He begins as those illustrations I use to bring those things to a surface, to the surface. And it's with Bible study and prayer. Alright? With the Word, the same Word that, um, you know, uh, sanctified and grew those early Christians is the same word that we need that, that holds our flesh back that helps us live the life we're called to live in prayer getting to know God through prayer without those things alright without those things living a Christ-like life doesn't happen alright two ways that I want to illustrate this and I'm done alright number one is this um, everyone take a deep breath and let it out alright this time I want you to exhale. Okay, stop there. Exhale means to breathe out. Alright? Alright, so I want you to exhale. Hold it. Exhale again. Hold it. Exhale again. Hold it. Exhale again. Okay, stop. I don't want you to pass out. Alright? So, if we continue to do... That's not the way our body's going to function correctly, right? If we do that, we're going we're gonna, to fall over and we're going to pass out and something bad's going to happen, right? The only, the way that, we know this, right? But the, it's a good metaphor for, I think, what we're trying to get after tonight. The only way for you to function correctly as a human being is for you to be in a steady rhythm of inhale and exhale. Do you even think about that? No. You've done that for the entire time we've been in here tonight. You haven't even thought about it. But it's vital to your life. It's vital. You don't function right. You, you don't live 
And in the same way, a lot of times, I think people try to approach the Christian life the same way that you are exhaling, exhaling, exhaling. And it just doesn't work. All right? The only way is to receive the power of God in your life and to depend on Him. Right? And to, again, salvation, it starts there, and then daily to dig into His Word, to pray, and then to live it out. Right? Another thing that I thought of as I was preparing this is um, who in here uh, drives? All right? Who in here looks forward to driving one day? Right? Most of everyone in here. All right? Now, those of you who drive, okay? There's several of you who drive. Do you remember the, the, the very first week or two that you got your restrictor's license and as your parents tried to teach you how to drive? Was that fun? No. Right? Um, now, I understand as a parent now why they acted the way they did, but in the moment, it was frustrating. You know? My, my, my mom like, drove me once and she wouldn't do it anymore. And then my, my dad was kind of the main teacher. She was like, you've got to get in there and teach him how to drive. And so it's like, you know, they just freak out, right? Because they're afraid you're going to run the car off. You're like behind the wheel of this big, like, flying machine, right? And, and, and so they're like, you know, if you're, if you're a little over this way, they're screaming, you know, for you to scream, do all those things. And, and my dad, who is a patient man, there were moments that were a little scary in that car, right? Um, but there's one thing in that process that my dad pounded into our heads, and it was this. If the needle ever gets down to a quarter of a tank, pull the car over and fill it up. Never let it go beneath a quarter of a tank, right? And I've never forgotten that because he just said it over and over again in repetition. He was like, okay, I get it. But I appreciate that because I've never run out of gas. Now I might, you know, somewhere down the road, but thank goodness I haven't up to this point. I have this understanding that if I'm going to get from point A to point B in my car, it's got to be filled up with gas, right? It's not going to happen on an empty tank. And in a very simple way, I just say that to illustrate this. Listen, if you're going to take a step in your walk with Christ, you know, where were you at at that last motivating moment? What in that moment were you just dreaming God would do in your life? And it's just kind of fallen to the side. How are you going to get from point A to where you're at to where you know God desires you to be and where the Word of God calls you to be? You're not going to get there on an empty tank. Okay? And so it's, it's vital that we grasp the truth in Philippians 2.13. That if we're going to live out the life that God's called us to live, we have to be totally dependent on Him. And that's why I loved that song that they sang. It got, you have to come to a place where you say with your heart and with your life, I need you. God, I need you. Every day, I need you. I can't live this life you've called me to live on my own. So, I wonder, here's my challenge tonight. I wonder who in here has tried to approach this thing on an empty tank. An empty tank in the sense that you're not saved, that you, you, it's not even started up and you're not even going because you know deep in your heart that you've never given your life over to God. Or maybe you're trying to approach this Christian life, run on the empty tank in the sense that you're undisciplined. You're undisciplined. And, um, you know, 1 Timothy 4.11, I believe it is, 4.11. Um, discipline, 2 Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And so my prayer tonight is very simple, that we just all understand our desperate need of God and that we kind of wrap our lives and our mind this week around Philippians 2.13. Philippians 2.13. Don't forget it. Let's pray.
I just want to give you guys, um, in, you know, would you just play that, as we pray, just play that, that song that we were playing a few moments ago. And how cool would it be tonight to, for students, I mean, in the midst of it, like I said, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, to just sincerely say, God, man, God, I just need you. God, tomorrow I'm going to try to go to school. I'm going to go back to my home. And I desire to live out a life that you've called me to live. But I am in desperate need of you. That's, that's simply that's good. And when you do that, do you not realize that those of you who are struggling with sin, struggling with like maybe just this reoccurring sin in your life, you know what that is. When you depend on God, do you not realize that at your disposal it's the same power resurrection power that raised Christ from the life is the same spirit, powerful spirit that's inside of you. You realize that? So when you're depending on Him each day and you're going to the Word and you're praying to Him and that fellowship with Him is tight, you fight from this incredible spirit of victory. So just spend a few moments. Think about the things that we talked about. Pray in your heart. Be sincere. And then I'll close this in prayer. Dear God, I thank you for this night. I thank you for your word. And uh, I pray, Father, that you would just kind of burn into our minds and our memory right now, Father, the, the truth that's found in Philippians 2.13 that's kind of tucked away that sometimes is hard, it's easy to, to overlook. You have 11 verses leading up to it about following Jesus. But it's the key. Help us to remember this, Father. It's a difficult thing to remember. It's a difficult thing, Lord, sometimes um, to embrace each day. It's key. And so help us to do that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.